If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we will be looking specifically at verses 1 through 4 today. There is a philosophical question that goes something like this. If a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around to hear it, does it still make a sound? It's an interesting question, but not one you need to devote too much time to. It's still fun to contemplate a little bit. Uh, we might adapt that question to help us see a bit of what Jesus is speaking to here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. Uh, here he's expanding on the meaning of the greater righteousness of the kingdom. And we could ask not about trees falling in the forest, but we could ask this. And here I'm speaking more cynically than I am speaking philosophically. If I perform a, a righteous deed and nobody sees it, does it really matter? If I give to the poor and nobody notices it, was it worth it? If I pray and I don't tell anyone, was I wasting my time? If I fast and I keep it hidden, then I was, was I hungry for no reason? I don't think any of us would ask those kind of questions out loud. They're a bit too revealing. But whether consciously or subconsciously, these kinds of questions are often under the surface of our religious practices. Because the temptation to turn our acts of righteousness into ways to impress others or, or actions done to receive praise from people, that those desires are ever present. We could respond to that by maybe arguing that that kind of an attitude, a self-seeking attitude, that really it's no big deal. That, that if we're doing the right thing, even from wrong motives, well, it's still the right thing. And there is some truth to that. We, we've discussed that a little bit. And because the, the reality of remaining sin in our lives means that it's, it's hard to imagine that even our best acts are not stained by some sin and selfishness. So we can't wait until... We can't wait to act until our motives are completely pure because they never will be. And yet, and yet there's a legitimate hope that we, as followers of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, might wean ourselves from the desire for the praise of others. We must trust that this is possible because the greater righteousness of the kingdom that Jesus is calling us to here in the Sermon on the Mount is never focused simply on outward actions but it's always on our, focused on our hearts and on our motives. If we're going to walk in the ways of Jesus, then our hearts must be in line with the heart of Jesus. Jesus, who sought to do all things for the glory of his Father alone. Re remember, Jesus desires that we would have a greater righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees, who simply focused on outward actions. We see that in Matthew 5.20. Jesus wants us to be whole and complete in our devotion, Matthew 5, 48, which means that, that we must be concerned about our hearts and we need to be concerned about our motives and our motivations. And so he says to us here that if we are his followers, in your personal righteousness, seek the praise and glory of God more than you crave the applause of people. 
that's our big idea for this sermon and possibly for the next few. In your personal righteousness, seek the praise and glory of God more than you crave the applause of people. Matthew 6, 1 says it clearly. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. There's a clear warning in that verse, a warning to not settle for pious, virtuous acts done with selfish motives. A warning against being like the Pharisees who loved the praises of men and women more than the praises of God. And along with the warning is a call to seek for the greater reward that the Father offers us, which must include the joy that's found in living our lives as he intended, namely for his glory alone. The reward and satisfaction found when our only goal is the glory of God is, is the reward that Jesus is talking about here. So the way we'll, we'll sum up the warning and the invitation of these verses, verses 1 through 21 of chapter 6, is like this. In your personal righteousness, seek the praise and glory of God more than you crave the applause of people. The righteousness spoken of here in chapter 6, verse 1, is slightly different than, that was discussed, than what was discussed in chapter 5, which is why I'm calling it personal righteousness. But Matthew 5, 21 through 48 focuses on, on righteousness more in terms of our morality. There, Jesus was correcting the, the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees, and he helped them specifically to see what the righteousness of the kingdom looks like as we interact and react to one another. But Matthew 6, 1 through 21 focuses on, focuses on righteousness in terms of our, our piety or our, our religious devotion. It's more about our, our personal and private acts of commitment to God, specifically focusing on almsgiving, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. Though, of course, the, the principle here is not limited to those three acts. Rather, it applies to, to all personal devotion to Christ. And therefore, the, the warning and the instruction that goes over this whole passage is, in your personal righteousness, whatever it might be, Seek the praise and glory of God more than you crave the applause of people, whether it be prayer and the study of the scriptures or maybe silence and solitude or whatever other acts of personal righteousness we might do. We do all these things for the glory of God alone, not for our own praise. A few notes on, on structure as we begin this new section. Uh, reading through Matthew 6, 1 through 21, the structure is, is easy to spot. Just as the structure in chapter 5 was, was clear, Jesus is a master teacher. Uh, each instruction begins with the, words, uh, with the words, when you practice your righteousness, do not do it in this way. Don't do it in the way of the hypocrites. And then that's followed by the instruction, but when you do practice your righteousness, do it in this, this new way of the kingdom that is secret and therefore results in you receiving the reward of the Father. We'll see that the, the instruction is similar for giving to the poor in verses 2 through 4, for prayer in verses 5 through 15, and for fasting in verses 6 through 18. As we've noted, verse 1 introduces and sort of states the theme for these verses, 
And then I think we some people include uh, verses 19 through 21, and, and some people don't. But I think 19 through 21 form a conclusion of sorts that also then bridges into the, the next section. Also note that the center instruction about prayer is unique. It breaks the pattern a little bit and includes the Lord's Prayer, which actually ends up becoming the structural center of the entire Sermon on the Mount. The Lord's Prayer is right dead center. And, and it ends up, um, it, 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 that's where the, the focus of the sermon be, is, at, is at. And so for the, the next few weeks, we're going to think about uh, giving to the poor, and then we're going to think about prayer in general, and the Lord's Prayer in particular, and then finally we'll move on to fasting uh, as we see the, seek to heed this warning and instruction from Jesus regarding the motives behind our personal righteousness. We're going to look at giving to the poor in particular, but before we do that, just one more sort of overarching question that has to do with Jesus's call to secrecy that pervades this passage. And I want to ask why back in, in chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus tells us that we are to shine like a city on a hill by means of people seeing our good works and glorifying our Father in heaven. Why does he say that there? But then here he tells us to beware of practicing our righteousness before others. Is Jesus contradicting himself? Is he telling us now to hide our light under the basket when back in chapter 5 he told us not to do that? Shouldn't I give to the poor and shouldn't I pray and fast in a way that draws the attention of others so that they will glorify God? A key to understanding these apparent, apparently contradicting instructions is to consider the desire for the glory of God. Because in both instances, the goal is to see God glorified. The result of both shining like a city on a hill and the result of, of secret devotion, both of those result in the glory of God. Therefore, the, the truth that Jesus seems to be communicating in talking differently about these two things is that moral righteousness done before others lends itself to bring glory to the Father. But the righteousness of religious devotion done before others lends itself to pride and misdirected praise. Let me say that again. Moral righteousness done before others lends itself to bringing glory to the Father. But the righteousness of religious devotion done before others leads to pride and misdirected praise. Acting in love for all people, refraining from revenge and the like that are described in, in Matthew chapter 5. When they're done in the public sphere, they cause people to glorify God to, to look at us and say there's something different about them as compared to other people, whether, whether they're religious or not. And, and therefore, they glorify God because of the way that we act in this world. We could also note that a lot of the instruction in chapter 5 has to do with reacting to things that are done to us. We're already in the public sphere. We're not trying to make ourselves seen, but we're, we're in a place where we're already being observed. And so when we, we, when we respond in a uniquely Christ-like way to persecution and to ridicule and to the like, God is glorified. In contrast to that, we think about the righteousness discussed here in chapter 6 about giving and, and praying and fasting. And to give and to pray and to fast in a way that would be seen by others would in fact require us to make some kind of effort to let others see us and to know what we're doing. 
but we would need to find a way for people to notice these acts of piety. And, and when we seek for others to see our acts of private devotion, we inevitably turn our hearts towards craving the applause of people more than seeking the glory of God. We want a reward from others in those circumstances rather than from God. And the call of this passage again comes out in your personal righteousness. Seek the praise and glory of God more than you crave the applause of people. And the way to do that is by doing our personal righteousness in secret. This is the, the teaching of Jesus, but it's also how he himself lived. He often prayed in secret. And even when he, he gave the good gifts that he gave, good gifts like healing to the, the poor and the needy, oftentimes he was most, all the time, he was, he was most concerned with the, the glory of the Father. He's not concerned with anything else. It's hard to draw one-to-one -one comparison since Jesus was God and he was glorified for the good works that he did, secret or not. But there is an, an element where Jesus himself kept his personal righteousness secret. Well, let's, let's read Matthew 6, and we'll read verses 1 through 4, and we'll see the specific application of all of this um, to the act of giving to the poor. Matthew chapter 6, let me read verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Giving, specifically giving to the poor, was a key part of righteousness for the Jewish people. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, may be the clearest command to that end. It says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Giving to the poor was a hallmark of the early church as well. And here Jesus seems to assume that his followers would give to the poor and the needy. He does not say if you give to the poor, but he says when you give to the poor. So the focus of the passage is not on whether or not we should give to the poor or how much we should give to the needy, but it's rather on what our heart motivation is as we do it. What is the motive behind our giving to the poor? That may be hard to discern sometimes. And John Stott offers us some a helpful way to assess what our motives are. He says this, there are three possibilities. Either we are seeking the praise of men, or we preserve our anonymity, but are quietly congratulating ourselves or we are desirous of the divine approval of our Father alone. When we give, we either seek the praise of others, we praise ourselves, or we seek the approval of the Father. In assessing our motives, let's think about it in terms of these three options. Let's first ask, are we seeking the praise of others? As we give to the poor, are we seeking 
the praise of others. It's, it's this first motivation that Jesus addresses in verse 2 when he tells us to not be like the hypocrites. Hypocrite was the word for an actor. And Jesus says of the Pharisees that they were actors in that their, their outward giving was not in agreement with the inward truth of who they were. They were playing a part. Of course, when we watch a movie or a TV show, we know that an actor is not the person that they're pretending to be. It's understood that we're going to suspend belief for a moment while we watch them. We, we will believe in that moment that they have superhuman powers or that they are a doctor or something else when in actuality they are not. But the acting of the Pharisees and of all who, who give to the poor in order to be seen by others is different. It's different because its goal is not entertainment, but it's rather deception. An actor on TV doesn't play a part so that we'll actually think they are truly the person they are pretending to be. But a religious hypocrite does just that. They are seeking to deceive. And like them, we often want people to think that we are one thing, that, that we are generous, or we're caring, or we're truly concerned for the needy, when in actuality our hearts are focused primarily on receiving the praise of others for what we have done. Our greatest care in that moment is often not it is often for ourselves and for the praise that we might receive, not the person that we are giving to. This illustration of, of acting helps us to, on another level, uh, on another layer of seeing our motivation for giving. If you think about actors, actors perform for an audience in order to receive their praise. And religious actors also do what they do in order to receive the applause of men and women. And so we're told that they would sound a trumpet before they gave. That could have been literal, maybe a call for the poor to come and receive the gifts that were offered to them, or it could be some sort of a, a metaphor. Uh, either way, it's, it's this comical picture that exposes the, the self-centered desire to be seen and applauded by others. It's sort of this, hey, everyone come to the town square. I'm about to be super generous to some poor people, and you don't want to miss it. You got to see what I'm going to do. That's what it feels like. It's been interesting as we think about this desire for applause. It's been interesting in the midst of the pandemic to watch how actors and, and talk, show, talk show hosts who are accustomed to having an audience's approval, how they're dealing with the fact that they currently have to perform simply for a camera. I've heard some who are more honest than others say that they are craving the attention they usually have and that their families are a bit annoyed by all of their uh, attention seeking. I think some of us pastors have been rebuked in this way as well, as we're maybe not uh, accustomed to preaching just to a camera. We desire to have people around us for good reasons, but also there's probably um, some self-awareness. Uh, there's some 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 self-analysis um, that needs to happen where we are probably seeking for the praise of others in what we do. And, and we can all relate to that. We can all relate to that because there's a a bit of that self-seeking in all of us, a desire to be recognized for what we do, a desire to be applauded, and therefore this temptation to sound a trumpet before we give. And our culture certainly plays into that desire, doesn't it? 
there are many opportunities for us to toot our own horn and to be recognized for our generosity. Maybe it's having our name listed somewhere as a, as a donor, or it could be a, a post on social media that we make that, that draws attention to our giving. There's a fine line, of course, between raising awareness for a cause and raising awareness to our own righteousness. A selfie here, a humble brag there, a few passing comments in the church foyer, and suddenly we find ourselves seeking the praises of others more than we're seeking the praises of God. And if we do that, then Jesus tells us that such praise from others is all the, the reward that we will get. So what does all this mean? It doesn't mean that we should only give cash. Should our giving always be anonymous? Should we not report our charitable contributions on our taxes? To draw these kind of applications would be to fall into the legalistic trap that the gospel frees us from and to forget that Jesus is not aiming specifically at the behavior, but he's aiming at our, at our hearts. His teaching here is meant to help us see that however we give, our goal must be the glory of God and the reward that he alone can give us, not the praise of others. Are we seeking the praise of others in our giving? If so, we must seek, by, seek practical means and we must seek heart transformation from the Spirit to keep us from these motives. Of course, we may find that, that we can keep our giving secret and avoid the praise of others only to find ourselves praising ourselves. And so we ask second, are we slipping into self-adoration? Are we slipping into self-adoration? This is the point of Jesus' command in verse 3, to not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. And it's at this point that you realize how much and how well Jesus knows the human heart. It's, it's not as if our, our hands have separate eyes and separate minds where we're trying to hide things from uh, one. But, but it's, it's an illustration, this, this idea of the, the left hand not doing what the right hand is doing. It's an illustration of self-forgetfulness. Jesus wants us to give in a, in a way that is turned away from pride. No one knows the, the true identity of the street artist Banksy. I don't know if you've ever looked him up, but I find him very intriguing. His art will just show up on walls and bridges, after which he acknowledges online that they are his while still being able to keep his identity secret. One of his paintings called Balloon Girl was sold at an auction. It was sold for over a million pounds. However, Banksy, who is sort of against the, the selling of his, of his artwork, had fitted the frame that this picture was in uh, with a remote-controlled shredder. So moments after the auction of the painting ended, Banksy, who was at the auction, remotely activated this, this shredder. However, as the, the painting was coming through the, the shredder, it, it stalled halfway and was just sort of hanging out the bottom of the frame. It's just in ribbons there while the rest remained whole in the frame. Some say that the partially shredded painting doubled in value at that moment. 
I mentioned that, and I mentioned Banksy, because I wonder if in all of his sort of shunning of the money-making and the, the popularity-seeking nature of the art industry, I wonder if in some ways he has turned from receiving applause from others publicly to receiving applause from himself privately. I can't speak completely to his motives or to his mindset, but if he's anything like me, that would certainly be a temptation as he stood in that auction hall and, and watched the balloon girl slowly be shredded. In a similar way, we could reject the applause of men for our giving to the poor while silently patting ourselves on the back. Maybe we give to help another person and we even keep it anonymous, but then we're, we're tempted just, to just sort of play out our generosity over and over again in our minds. On the surface, we appear to have avoided the reward of, of praise from others, but we have instead received the praise of ourselves. Stott is again helpful with this summary. He says, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. Self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not self-congratulation. We're reminded in all of these instructions of how deceptive and wicked the human heart can be. The seeking of, of praise from others and the praising of ourselves are hard to completely avoid. And even when we do our best, sometimes they will land on our doorstep unsuspectedly. But by God's grace and through his indwelling spirit in, in those whose hope is in Christ, it's possible. It's possible to find that our primary motive in giving to, need, to the needy is the glory of God. And so we ask thirdly, are we seeking the approval and glory of the Father? As we give to the poor, are we seeking the approval and the glory of the Father? If we are new creations in Christ Jesus, that's our goal. That's our goal in everything. But specifically here, that's our goal in giving to the poor. The glory of God is at the heart of our faith. The gospel itself is centered on the glory of God. We're not saved through what we do, whether it be our charitable giving or any other righteousness that we might offer up to God, because all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. We are sinners unable to earn salvation, and therefore God in his love sent his son to live a life devoted to the glory of the Father alone, and to die for we who have robbed our Creator of His glory. And through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are made right with God. We are justified, and we are made new by His Spirit, so that our desire to see Him and Him alone glorified through our lives, that, that becomes our great desire because of the renewal that's happened to us through salvation. So how do we avoid seeking the praise of others and, the, and praise from ourselves so that God alone might receive praise? Well, we've said it a number of ways in this passage, and it's fairly clear. The way that we avoid the praise of others and the praise of ourselves is we strive to give secretly. We strive to give secretly. If we can remain anonymous, we do. And while we don't give mindlessly, we do give with self 
forgetfulness. We refrain from letting people know what we have given and we strive to not remind ourselves of what we have given. We're like those in Matthew 25 who had been generous to others so often, but who seemed to be unable to recall that generosity on Judgment Day because they had not done it for their own praise, but they'd done it for the glory of God. And when we do that, when we, we give with self-forgetfulness, when we give seeking not our, the praise of others or the praise of ourselves, we receive the true reward. We receive the reward of the Father, the Father who sees in secret will reward you. And what is that reward? Well, we think in our culture about rewards like trophies or medals or giant cardboard checks. It's hard to say exactly what the reward Jesus is speaking of here is. It could be the, the blessedness of giving. The blessedness of giving may be one option for what the reward is. Jesus tells us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so the, the act of selflessly giving carries its own reward. Tied to that, the reward could be the satisfaction of the love that's been offered. The satisfaction of the love that's been offered could be a reward. To know that we've helped someone in need and to see the difference that our generosity has made in their lives is a beautiful thing. It need not cause us to, to swell with pride. By God's grace, we can be humbled at the way that God, who is the source of all the blessings that we have, has allowed us to bless others. But it would seem to me, I think, that the heart of the reward of the Father is to know that we have glorified God. The heart of the reward of the Father is the glory of God himself. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O God. And Jesus spoke of the will of the Father as his food. And we, who are created for the glory of God, are filled with the reward of joy and satisfaction and delight when we act with generosity as God would have us to. And when that, the generosity resounds to, to the glory of the Father, it fills us with happiness. Why? Because the glory of God is the deep desire of our hearts. And to know that he is glorified through what we have done, that's the reward that we're seeking. And so I would say, brothers and sisters, let's give. Let's give generously to the poor. Jesus assumes that we will. When you give, we must do it. And as we do it, though, let's do it with the right motives, not, not for the praise of others or for our own ego's sake, but for the glory of God alone. And such secret giving will bring us the joy that we've been made for. This week, let me encourage you, as the, as the Spirit leads, listen for and look for opportunity to bless those in need. And then next week, we'll all get together and we'll talk about how much we gave and who we gave it to. No, of course we won't do that. Rather, let's, let's give. Let's give graciously as Christ has given to us. And let's give secretly, filled with the desire to see God alone glorified. I asked at the beginning, if I perform a righteous deed and nobody sees it, does it really matter? If I give to the poor and nobody notices, was it worth it? And of course, the answer is yes. Yes, it matters. And of course, it's worth it. Not because someone else sees it or even because we ourselves know what we have done, but because God sees it. 
God sees it. And he will reward us perfectly in the end by fulfilling the deepest desire he has given to his children, namely that he would be glorified. Let's pray together. Father, we read your word and it is a, a mirror to our hearts. Lord, we see our sinfulness. We see our, our longing for the praise of others. Lord, we see even our longing for the praise of ourselves. But Lord, you have freed us by your son, by your spirit living in us. You've freed us from desiring those things and you've freed us to be the people that you've made us to be. People who long for your glory alone. And so Lord, teach us how to give. Teach us how to give generously. Teach us how, how to give uh, wisely. But Lord, teach us how to give secretly in a way that, that would honor you alone, not in a way that, that seeks out the praise of others, not in a way that seeks our own praise, but in a way that honors and glorifies you and trusts, Lord, that you will reward us perfectly in this life and on the last day. Father, we can do none of this on our own, but by your Spirit, given to us by your Son, Jesus, we can walk in this greater righteousness of the kingdom. And so we ask that you would help us to do that. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.